This morning, Scripture comes to us uh, from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me there. Uh, while you're turning, just a, a couple of things. The first, um, uh, I do want you to know if you're signing up to read uh, the Scriptures uh, over the course of the next few days, uh, if you're there early in the morning, there will be a, a member from the pastor team or staff that will be there to open up the building. If you're there late at night, there will be someone in the building with you to be sure that, uh, that, that everything is safe and secure to lock up after you. So I just want you to be aware that that's, uh, that's being arranged and so you could volunteer uh, with confidence. Also want you to know that um, I was up here uh, tearing down after Dash and Bash uh, at Timber Creek Elementary this last uh, Friday night, just a couple nights ago, and I got asked multiple times that evening, uh, are y'all actually going to make it? Uh, that, was the, that, that was the resounding question floating, wafting through the space, all coming to me. And, uh, and, and so that might actually be your question today as well. Like we, didn't, we announced all these move-in things. Are we actually going to make it? Uh, the answer is yes. So uh, on Friday, the, the yeah, yeah, so that's exciting. Um, so... So on, on Friday, the fire marshal came in, uh, and uh, we, were, uh, we were alerted to uh, six things that needed to be worked on, but the fire marshal did not deem an additional visit necessary. So all six of those things, we were able to take pictures of them, send them over. All of those six things have been cared for on Friday. So we do expect tomorrow, first thing in the morning, to get uh, the official paper certificate that will give us that clearance to occupy the building. So uh, the fire marshal has already said no red flags. Amen? All right, so that's the... Yeah. All right, we didn't, we didn't announce that because how do you announce the nuance of of that detail, but uh, praise God for that. And I wanted you to know, so when your friends ask you, like they're asking me, are you going to make it? You could say, praise God, yes. Um, so the word of God comes to us beginning uh, Luke 19, verse 29, and following on through verse, uh, through verse 40. Uh, together, we're gonna hear the word of the Lord this Palm Sunday. When Jesus had come near Bethpage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives. He sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village ahead of you and as you enter it, you will untie, uh, find there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed and found it as he had told them. And they, as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? Why are you stealing my colt? Um, and so the disciples said to him, the Lord needs it. Uh, so then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it, and as he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road ahead of him, and as he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, Olives the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Heaven. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones themselves would shout out. This is God's word offered to us in its reading and its hearing. So we give thanks to the Lord God Almighty. Amen. Would you bow with me forward of prayer? 
Gracious and loving God, we come before you with praise and thanksgiving for your holy word. This Palm Sunday, Lord, we celebrate uh, the grand and triumphal entry of your son, Jesus Christ, into Jerusalem as he entered in uh, to make that final and ultimate sacrifice for us and for the world. We pray, O oh God, that you would make yourself known to us this morning as we consider uh, this, your holy word. We ask, O oh God, that you would open our eyes, that we would see our ears, that we would hear, open our minds, that we would come to know and understand your word, your ultimate will, open our hearts, that we would feel its power. Then by your grace, we ask, O oh God, that you would open our hands, that we would offer grace to the world. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. In 2009, Lauren and I had uh, the unique and joyful opportunity to go on a study trip with Jerusalem University to Israel. Uh, it was September of 2009, mid-September, and, and, and I'll never forget, uh, I, I realized what, uh, what a different experience this was going to be from the very time that we were on the airplane traveling from Houston uh, to Tel Aviv. Uh, while we were on the trip uh, to Israel, uh, we, we were uh, stunned by the fact that as we were flying at multiple different uh, hours during the trip, uh, all of the Orthodox Jews, uh, the, the male Jews particularly, with the, the, the box on their hats and the, the braided uh, sideburns all the way down with the black coats, you, you know, I mean, very traditional Orthodox Jews, all of them gathered in the little exit areas of the airplane and, uh, and began praying together. And so there would be 20 or 30 at each of the exits. And I remember it was off to the right as we were flying because they were, they were praying towards the temple and they were all rocking and it was a whole group of them praying together. And the whole uh, movement was, was kind of stunning and stark and, and, and a little bit startling, in fact. And, and as they were doing that, I began to think, does this impact the flight at all? Like if you're a pilot and you have, you know, you have in the three different exit areas, 70 grown men rocking back and forth all on one side of the plane is the pilot up there like this the whole, the whole time. If you're a pilot afterwards, I've really been wanting to know that and you can come and meet me and tell me if that's fact. But I, I, didn't, I didn't know what was going on. Uh, I didn't really grasp uh, why our flight was filled with so many Orthodox Jews. I mean, I thought it was normal. We're flying to, to Israel. Maybe this is what every flight to Israel is like, uh, or, or maybe not. Because when we arrived, even in the airport, I, I began to notice that, that the amount of Orthodox Jews and traditionally dressed uh, Muslims were, were, were flooding the space and uh, the traffic was awful it was horrible and as we moved from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem it got worse and as we got into Jerusalem uh, in, in the new city of Jerusalem it, it was it was uh, the traffic should have been better you know large open roads they've been able to set it all up uh, to accommodate all of these travelers but it wasn't the roads were packed, and I, I went up to our bus driver, Muhammad. Uh, we had three bus drivers. They were all named Muhammad. We went up to the bus driver, Muhammad, and said, what's going on? Why is this so crazy? He said, well, it is uh, a rare occurrence that uh, Rosh Hashanah, the two-day celebration of the Jewish New Year, and Ramadan, the concluding days of the 
fast celebrating the book of the Qumran being given to Muhammad were coinciding. So Rosh Hashanah and Ramadan were the same days and we were there during that. And all of these Jews from around the world and all of these Muslims from around the world were gathering together in Jerusalem and it was like, oh my goodness. What is this like? We said, how rare is this? It's very rare. It doesn't happen very often. And so it's going to be unlike uh, uh, busy unlike we've seen and I began to notice it the hotel room we went to sit down for dinner and there were no seats in the hotel uh, all of the tables were completely full and uh, we had some other friends on a different trip at the time their hotel was the same way and we began to drive around town and as we drive around town the traffic was awful the entire time we were there we would travel through the old city uh, travel to, uh, through the new city it was always uh, the foot traffic even was packed and you were like sardines walking through the old city. I remember one morning we were traveling all the way through the old city uh, from the west gate all the way out to the lion's gate where we were going to exit uh, to head to the traditional location of Jesus's tomb. And, uh, and as we walked out the city, uh, we walked out the city and there uh, as we got to the lion's gate, we, we, we looked out upon the Kidron Valley, the Mount of Olives, and it was morning time, and all of, uh, all of the valley was filled with people. Every street, every walkway, every pathway with people, not cars, people everywhere flooding in uh, from the countryside. And I thought to myself, this is, this is the most profound relationship that I will ever be able to have of what it is like for... Jesus to come on Passover uh, to celebrate this sacred season with all of the Jews from the region all coming together descending upon Jerusalem. You know, this is a holy event. This is an event where, where all of the Jewish people were, were coming from all over the place to gather in Jerusalem. There, there are experts that estimate that in Jerusalem on this event, on this day that we read of, when Jesus uh, crossed over the crest of the Mount of Olives, that, that 2.7 million people would have been in Jerusalem. 2.7 million people in Jerusalem. Do you think that they had uh, hotels to fit all of those people? Do you think that every guest room was full? Uh, do you think that they had uh, restaurants to feed all of these people? Do you think that people would have been camping out all around the countryside? Do you think every day people would have been walking in for worship and then going back to wherever they were camping, that they were finding a way to get in the city? Of course, that's, that's what this was like. This event, when Jesus is coming for this holy meal, this sacred celebration of Jewish tradition, the entire region would have been full of people. This was an awesome occasion for us to imagine. There's actually a picture that I have of, of the Kidron Valley and the Mount of Olives. Uh, th this is uh, the Kidron Valley. It's actually shot from where you would, uh, the picture is shot from where you would be taking it uh, at the Temple Mount. So you look down from the Temple Mount through the Kidron Valley where uh, here at the foreground, these are all uh, tombs 
uh, all through here and all up the Mount of Olives. And then through this section is the Mount of Olives. This is the, the Church of All Nations. And this is an a, a olive grove. And in this olive grove at the Church of All Nations, there are actually olive trees that, uh, that, that are estimated to be over 2,000 years old. Olive trees that would have been there when Jesus was actually at the Mount of Olives. Okay, And so, so when you imagine this whole countryside, this whole mountain scene filled not with buildings and not with churches and not with the orthodox church but rather with olive grove all the way up and down we could get our spiritual spiritual imagination working and begin to consider what it would be like for jesus to crest there at the peak of the mount of olives and be coming down a path much like this all the way down the mount of olives through down to the kedron valley and into the city the city gates would be right here in the foreground and this is the journey that jesus took as he is coming into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, but it's not like this picture because in this picture, there are very few people, but on that day when Jesus came in, the whole mountainside of the Mount of Olives would have been filled with people, people from all over that didn't have room in the inn, but had room in the countryside. How do we know people camped in the Mount of Olives? Well, we know because Jesus and his disciples camped on the Mount of Olives. You remember that? After, uh, after the Last Supper, in the upper room, Jesus and his disciples moved from the southeastern portion of the city, which was known as Zion, and moved from the upper room across the central valley, over the city of David, through the Kedron Valley. And then you remember where Jesus was betrayed? Jesus was betrayed in the Mount of Olives at night where he and his disciples were camping. Jesus and his disciples, the Galileans, the ones from the north, were camping on the Mount of Olives. We actually can expect, we can, we can postulate that, that this was a common occurrence that Galileans particularly, because the Galileans were, were uh, by average not as wealthy as the Judeans, uh, the, the, the Jews from around Jerusalem. But if you were from the Sea of Galilee, then you were not as wealthy, so you might not have been able to afford uh, a, a high-demand hotel room in the city. Also, you wouldn't have as many family members in Jerusalem as if you were a Judean, and so you would have not had a guest room in one of your family members' home. And so uh, Jesus and his disciples camped on the hillside the Mount of the Mount of Olives, and we can ex expect that that was a common occurrence for most of the people that Jesus spent most of his time with for most of his ministry around the Sea of Galilee. So now we have the picture. Here is Jesus coming from Bethany and Bethpage, which are the two cities that lead to the crest of the Mount of Olives. And there he gets to that pinnacle moment, that space that is moving from the wilderness to the city of Jerusalem. And I want, I want to talk a little bit about what this convergence of people would have been like. Because this, this moment that he hits that peak, that he comes from the east, and you look on the mountainside, and you could see that he, has, the, that he has come, that he is there at the top. Uh, there's a convergence of people. There, there's a convergence of people. First, we could think about who is coming with him. Who are the people that are traveling with Jesus at this time? These are the 12 disciples. The, one who were, uh, the ones who were met uh, with their fishing nets in hand and told to follow me and they left everything and followed Jesus. Tax collectors, local businessmen, folks that left everything and spent their every waking hour with Jesus would have been there. 
But not just the 12. I think sometimes our conception of what would have been taking place is rather narrow because, because as we see around the Galilee, uh, whenever Jesus goes somewhere, what follows? A crowd. There's always a crowd of people. There are crowds of people everywhere Jesus goes because Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Messiah. And the more people encounter Jesus, the more convicted they are that this is true. And so everywhere he goes, people are crowding around him. So it's not just the 12 disciples that we could think about, but we could also think about all the other Galilean disciples that would have been there as well. We could think about uh, potentially maybe even some of the Samaritans because just before this, Jesus went through this, the, the region of Samaria and he called out uh, to 10 lepers and that he healed those lepers. Uh, nine went out to, to, to be tested and be made clean, but then one came back and thanked Jesus. And then those around began to have faith because he had the power to make them clean. Then we think about he moved from Samaria down into Jericho. And when he was in Jericho, uh, he, he, he healed a blind beggar. Uh, he met with Zacchaeus. He had dinner with all those that were there. Maybe, maybe the entire dinner, dinner party from Zacchaeus's home was with Jesus as he went on into Jerusalem. There in that same journey, he, he, went to, he went to Bethany, he met with Mary, he met with Martha, but you remember what he did for Lazarus, their brother? He raised him from the dead, brought him back to life. What would it be if Lazarus and Mary and Martha were also with Jesus as they crossed over the Mount of Olives, heading down into Jerusalem? The one that was raised to life was there with Jesus in that very moment. What would it be? Remember Lazarus, it says that Lazarus went and testified to the entire city, to the entire community, and even said that because of Lazarus' testimony, many throughout the city, many throughout the region were coming to believe in Jesus. And that testimony is written in scripture. What if that entire community of people that believed in Jesus were there with Jesus, following him, wanting to see what he did next, journeying with him to have Passover meal with him, to enter into Jerusalem with him. So as he crest at the Mount of Olives, what if they all were gathered there? All of these people that were following Jesus that knew what Jesus had done for them, that had been healed, that had been restored, that had had their sight restored to them, that were, that, were, that were paralyzed but now could walk. What if they were all with Jesus in this convergence of time, this moment as he, all, as he walked over the Mount of Olives and entered into the city? But it wasn't just those that were coming with him. It was also all of those that were already on the mountainside. All, all of those that had already staked out their campsites. You know, whenever you go out to, uh, to Garner State Park and, 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 and you go and you set up your campsite, th there are others that had already set up their campsite. You know, they got there a day before you, right? They got there a little bit earlier. It would have been like that. You know, not everybody's arriving at the same time. So people from all over the Galilee would have been all over the side of the Mount of Olives. They got there a little bit before Jesus did and they set up. And so as Jesus came over the Mount, it's not just those that were coming with him, but it's also all those that knew of his ministry, that felt his impact, that met with him when they were at the Galilee, that were there as well. And so we could think about all those people that would have known him, that would have been there. So that as he came, they, they saw him and they knew they had to worship him. Those folks would have included folks that were, that were there when Jesus fed the 5,000. Maybe they had been fed by Jesus. Maybe there were those that were there whenever Jesus uh, proclaimed the Sermon on the Mount and they heard him say, you are the light of the world. And they felt the light of Christ shine in their lives and they knew that they had met the Messiah. I, I, wonder, I wonder if, 
if the man that was played with the demon, uh, a demon uh, named Legion, because there were so many. Maybe he was there. Maybe his life-changing moment brought him to faith in Christ in such a way where he would have had to be there for that sacred meal to worship. And when he was there, he, was, he, he saw Jesus, the one that cast out his demon, crossing over the mountain. Think of all the people that were on that mountainside that had experienced Jesus' ministry, that had been healed by him, that had heard his teaching, that were convicted by what they experienced. All those whose lives had been changed because of Jesus. Those that were with him and those that met him on the way. So now we can understand, right? Now we can see what has to happen in this moment. Like, like, like there, there's nothing else that could happen in this moment, right? Like, like, like whenever all of these people that know Jesus, that have experienced Jesus, all come together at the same time, the only outcome that's possible is worship. The only outcome that could have been is lifting up praise and glory to God for all that he had done in their lives. And so as he crosses, they take the clothes off their backs. They lay them on the ground. They tear branches off of the trees. They wave them in praise and they shout in their loudest voice, Blessed be the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna in the highest heaven. They can't but exclaim God's grace and beauty. I think about all that we've experienced together in ministry over the last seven years. Seven years, three months, and two weeks to be precise. Uh, We launched this ministry in January of 2008, January 8th, I said 2008, January 8th of 2012. And from that day until now, each of us have been touched by grace in our own way. We have encountered Christ in our own particular way. Some of you entered into this space with marriages that were fractured and torn but have been healed and restored. Some of you you were babies whenever you uh, began ministry here at Covenant. My son, Aiden, was in kindergarten when we launched this ministry. Now he is about the same height, but he is still, uh, he's, he's, uh, no, uh, now he's in seventh grade and I look back on these years and think of how much he's grown and the ways in which you have blessed his life and the ways in which he has grown in his faith because of the ministry that you share in with me. I think of all of those that have had diseases that have been healed those that have experienced addictions, that have received release and freedom in Christ over those. I think of all those that have been able to, 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 to serve alongside of people in ways that they didn't know possible. Those who were isolated and alone, lost, and now are connected and know the love of a community of faith. I think of all the ways in which we have exchanged life with one another 
in such powerful ways where we have known Christ. I think of those of you that didn't, uh, that, that didn't know Christ and now have received salvation in his name. I think of those of you who knew of Christ but didn't know Christ and now know Christ deeply. I think of those of you that, that didn't have any understanding of God's holy word but now have read his word and have allowed it to grow deeply in your soul. I think of the ways in which God has moved in our ministry together. And you know what? I think we're just like those folks on the side of the Mount of Olives that day, those that came with Jesus or those that saw Jesus crossing over that peak. There is nothing, nothing that we can do except praise the Lord God Almighty. We have to give God thanks and praise. It's the only response that's appropriate. It's the only response that's possible. It rises up from the depth of our souls so that we could praise. And, and, and you know what? There are going to be folks just like there was in Jesus' days that are going to say, shh, don't praise. Uh, we live in a culture that would say, oh, don't talk about religion, don't talk about faith. Don't talk about these things to your friends, to your neighbors, or your coworkers. That's not allowed. But you know what? It doesn't matter how much we receive. Because what has taken place in our lives requires a response. Amen? It requires us to lift up with shouts of praise. It requires us to tell others of the good news we've experienced in Jesus Christ. And so, brothers and sisters, we joined that same chorus that existed that Palm Sunday. We, we, we join the unending hymn of the saints above and the saints below. We go out into all the world, throughout all the earth. Uh, we start in our community, we start in our homes, and then we move forth into our workplaces and everywhere we go so that everyone we meet would know how powerful the grace of God in Jesus Christ is and what that has meant for you and what that means for me so we tell all the world of the love of Christ this Palm Sunday join in that unending hymn because there is nothing else that we could do and even the rocks cry out amen Amen. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we come before you and celebrate what it means to be your people and to journey with you in this season, Lord. Uh, all of the ways in which you've blessed and loved and met with us and transformed us and convicted us and, and, and grown us and shaped us uh, by your grace and your love. Lord, we ask, oh God, that you would uh, well up within us a mighty testimony of faith. That, that we would tell the world of what you've done and what you're doing, that we would celebrate in all things and look forward to the day of your coming. Lord, we, we, we come before you this holy week and we ask that it would be set apart and sacred to you, that everything that is done in the season and this time would bring you glory, honor, and praise, for that is our, our desire, that our whole lives would rise up in praise. Lord, as we enter into this time of offering and continue to worship, we ask, God, that you would bless both the gift and the giver alike in this time, that all that's done in this space would bring you glory, honor, and praise. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.